Okay, I went to the Genius Bar once, and uh, Stephen Hawking helped me. <laughs> it was really cool. All right, so should we start? I thought we'd already started. Oh, well, yeah. Didn't we start in 1982? Hi, and welcome to the Media Loper Bebop Podcast. This is episode one, The End of the World. I'm your host, Jim Connolly, and joining me are my co-hosts, Tim Gaskell. Hey, Tim. Hello. And Kirk Biglione. How's it going, Kirk? Yeah. <laughs> the purpose of this podcast is simple. We're going to talk about pop culture, technology, anything else that we've been talking about since 1982. Let's see if I understand this. This is three old guys talk about the end of the world. Yes. Yeah, well, that's that's just to start with. And um, the uh, today, I went to get my car washed. And while I was sitting there, this guy started talking to me, and he was one of those. There are two types of end-of-the-world people. There's the rapturists, and then there's the economist um, end-times people. Basically, this guy was talking about how if the uh, if Congress didn't raise the debt ceiling, then uh, before you know it, we were going to be in a civil war. What is, what, is, what is the problem you have with what he told you? He couldn't give me any specific dates. Well, whereas, the whereas, civil war is already happening. Yes. We're in a cultural civil war. That's, that's, a, just a, that's like the modern era version of the civil war. It's a cultural civil war. Right. But Except it goes on forever. But at least Harold, at least Harold can't... No one said civil wars had to be fun. <laughs> That's yeah, they're uncivil. I don't know why they call them civil, but anyway, this uh, the other guy, Harold Camping. He at least gives us a date. He says it's May twenty first, twenty eleven, around six p.m. So have an early dinner that day. Well, it's also really good that we just now started the podcast, and we only have like a month and a half to go before the world, or a month to go before the world ends. Right, but at least we get one in before. Right. Yeah. So this guy is he's been wrong before. Let's start with that. He. He actually said on uh, September 6th, I think 1994 or something, that that was in fact the end of the world. Obviously, he was wrong, but uh, apparently, I think he's retrofitted his philosophy to say that that was the beginning of the end, and the actual end will be May 21st. So, what he's going to say on May 22nd, I don't, I don't know. Who knows? But you know, one, one of one of the things. So the we end were, of the world is like a festival. It's like an event. It's supposed to last for like it four or five for, months. It runs for several days. Yeah, it is going to be. It's going to be like the. There will be several stages. There will be many bands. I liken it to a wildfire. Like you know, vintage starts, days. Right. Um, God. Um, <laughs> or spring break. Spring break. Yeah, there you go. But this is like a wildfire. It starts small and then it's going to spread and eventually affect everybody. And, you know. Somebody like, uh, let's see, like a Larry Kramer on CNBC, you know, his thing will be how it'll, how will it affect uh, stock markets in the Asian world? You know, the Asian stock markets or something like that. The New York Times will attempt to embed one of their reporters um, somewhere, I don't know, with the almighty or something. And, you know, Huffington Post will probably do a slideshow with the 10 worst or 10 best places to view the end of the world. And they'll get a lot of page views. They'll be looking for more page views. That, that's all they care about, just the click-throughs, the page views. Forget the, the end of the world is great copy. And it may even, you know, it may even briefly revive the print medium for, I don't know, a couple months. Who knows? And on Fox, there'll just be a crawl that just goes over and over again and says, ha-ha, we were right. Ha-ha, we were right. Ha-ha, we were right. 
Fox News, well, they'll claim it's Obama's fault or Islam or secularism or... Well, you know, my biggest problem with the end of the world is, don't you, on May 21st, is that I won't be able to take all my vacation days before it happens. Do we have a hashtag for the end of the world? Um, it might be end times. I'm not sure. We need a definitive hashtag for the end of the world. It won't do to have everyone using a different hashtag. We need That's to like true. get together and have a standard here. Because I mean, we, as, as standards go, this one is pretty important. It's the end of the world. You know, and what, what, what's cool about this, what's cool about the social media is at least we will be tipped off, you know, in advance, like where it's all starting. Because that's kind of key. Is it going to start in Hollywood? You know, I'm sure you could find some, something in the Bible that says it's going to actually take place, going to start in Hollywood or somewhere, or like San Francisco, somewhere on the, on the liberal left coast, as it were. You know who the official voice of the end of the world will be? Um, I can see it now. He'll be at Times Square. Dick Clark? <laughs> Dick Clark. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> 17, 13. Oh, God. So are they, yeah, well, if they, if they, you know what, here's the thing. If they plan this out correctly. Wait, wait, who they is will, they? They being, you know. <laughs> the a, Illuminati, of well, course. Either that or ABC, whoever, whatever network it is that airs the, the, the New Year's Eve, Rock and Eve with Dick Clark, they should have like this is the the world's end of times, end of world rockin' last call party like it's nineteen ninety nine ball, and they have a ball that drops down, you know, in this time spirit, let's paint it like the world, like a globe, and it drops, and as it drops you see it catch on fire and then it gets to the bottom and it explodes. And turns into Jesus. Yeah, and that's where the rap and that's where the rapture begins. That's where that's when the rapture begins, and we all start fighting. And um, but who I, I don't know what we're going to fight about exactly. I guess over precious resources like like bandwidth. But there'll be a like. lot more resources with half the world up in heaven. But it's not half. Well, okay, oh. so it's five percent. There's still more resources. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it could get. Per I don't think it'll be get that crowded. Uh, in heaven because I think you're missing the point of heaven Tim it can't be crowded it's heaven oh oh that's true that's true because it is um, it's n neither a time nor a place or a dimension right it's, it's just like in the last episode of lost it's exactly the same thing oh you just ruined it for me thanks <sighs> now I, <laughs> I was gonna try to watch it before May 21st but uh, so how, how long how long are we going to talk about the end of the world? I mean, there's some things you there's some things you just talk about, and there's some things you do. Yeah. So we should actually end this podcast now and go out and do something to save the world. I kind of want to hang around here. You know, it's going to be more it's going to be more interesting. Well, I don't have that much beer though. You can't really hang around here the whole time. Well, that's true. I better drink up. Yeah. Uh, who else is? Uh, who else will be covering the end of times? Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure NPR will be doing it, but they'll be, no matter what, they'll they'll get blamed for having a liberal bias. And uh, no, they'll be covered like this. And so the world ended in a ball of fire and death, and a billion people died in five minutes. And now to discuss it, Garrison Keillor. There you go. And they're they're going to do a little one of those uh, Prairie Home Companion kind of recaps of the world, which would be really cool.
Okay, do we have anything else to say about the end of the world? No, I'm, I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach. <laughs> <laughs> Our second topic is Cocoa Crisp's hair. Because we can't, because we can't talk about the end of the world forever. There are more important things to talk about, like Cocoa Crisp's hair. Exactly. Yeah. The world's only been around for 11,000 years, according to this guy. Anyway. Cocoa Crisp's hair is epic. Or it was epic, because it's now back to normal. Now, or can as, you... no as normal as Cocoa Crisp's hair could be. Now, what, what was... Give us some sense of dimension. What was his... Coco, okay, so Cocoa Crisp, Oakland A's center fielder and... 2011 World Series MVP, Coco Chris. Wait, 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 we have <laughs> Wait a minute. No, no. If I do this now, this is how the content seems fresh next ah. this time next year. Ah. And it'll be like it'll slip in and 2011 World Series MVP Coco Crisp had amazing hair in April. Uh, his his head was itching. <laughs> and so <laughs> Because he has braids and his hair was itching. He was having a bad, a really bad hair, a bad hair itching day. Mm. And this you, this picture has to be on the blog above this be. podcast um, for you to really get the full effect of what happened when Coco Crisp removed his braids. And now the A's this season have a new alt uniform that is gold in the classic 1970s style of blindingly gold alt uniform that um, he happened to be wearing on the day that he had a full-on Oscar Gamble afro. And it's, it's just amazing. It's, just, it's a stunning throwback he looks like someone from the 70s. It is so authentic. It is so vintage. And, you know, this was the classic era for the Oakland A's. So this can only be a good a sign. omen. A sign. This can only be a good omen. So I have a question here. Um, I lived in Oakland for the second half of the 1990s. And never in any of that not time... Talking, not talking about the second half of the 1990s. We're talking about the early 70s, Jim. But I li my point okay. is... My point is I lived in Oakland for like yeah. seven or eight years, and, and all that time, no one ever mentioned that a Major League Baseball team. Are you sure you're not making up this Oakland A's? Oakland A's. No, I, you know, they, I looked it up. I have an app that uh, tells me the history of baseball, and yeah. I did look up. I looked yeah. them up. They do exist. Okay. Just and they're in the new Baseball Project album. It clearly says they moved to Oakland in 68. So the point is that... And this is where I'm going with this discussion, is that there are some people who looked at Coco Crisp in his throwback 70s Oscar Gamble look and felt that it was some like poor representation, racially maybe, of a modern athlete in the 21st century of a certain you know, racial background. Like it was some kind of, I don't know, like black exploitation meets baseball, politically incorrect hair statement. How is that not awesome? <laughs> Which got me thinking about the last time anyone got into political trouble or anyone even like raised a flag politically with their hairstyle. You have to go back to like the 70s for that. It's like hair as a political statement was neutered around 1984. And now finally... Finally, Coco Crisp is coming out and, and making hair a relevant way to make a political statement, even if he didn't mean it that way. But wouldn't we say that Tim Lincecum's stoner hair is a political statement in, of its, in and of itself? 
No, I think his ERA and his strikeouts is a political statement. <laughs> Amplify that sigh in the mix. <laughs> I'll put some echo on no, it. No, in the closed captioning, Kirk sighed. <laughs> wait, wait till Lou, wait till Lou Wolf buys the Dodgers, and then who owns the A's? I don't know. Consortium. You guys in? Yeah. I know you're giant. I know you're Giants fans, but I mean, you know, think about it. Yeah. Well, wasn't Pasadena Frank- A's? McCourt they was. Play, a- they play. You know, it would be better than the Oakland Coliseum for baseball. The Rose Bowl. <laughs> oh yeah. That would be awesome. Wait, wait, Kirk, you don't want, do you really want 81 games at the Rose Bowl every every summer? It's the Oakland A's. No one ever goes to see them play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there would be zero impact on traffic, zero impact on parking. Well, why haven't they built a stadium downtown amongst all the big buildings? Oh. <laughs> they don't have the right magic wand. And, the, and, Answer B, this isn't Second Life. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if not, then why isn't there, isn't there a nice stadium sitting on the water where Coco Crisp can catch balls leaping over the fence and fall into the water? <laughs> I think that would be – see, that would be more spectacular than a splash hit into McCovey Cove. Do, do we think that Coco Crisp is the number one most ironically drafted person in all of fantasy baseball? Um. Well, yes. Milton Bradley was for a while. Yeah, but he he actually produced occasionally. Milton Bradley and Coco. Okay, part one. Milton Bradley and Coco Chris started out in the same outfield together <laughs> in Cleveland. Number two is produced. You're, are you saying Coco Chris doesn't produce? Um, I I I don't know because I haven't followed him since okay. he was a. You will be surprised. There's a reason why he is the 2011 World Series MVP. No, wait a second. Uh, Coco allegedly. Crisp is the real deal. I'm telling you. Oh, oh. We are. I'm president of the Coco Chris fan club. <laughs> That's only because your wife uh, loves Coco Crisp. No, actually, she doesn't. I, wasn't she the uh, original she fan? She was scared was... by the hair. I don't know. Oh. So I'm looking at Coco Crisp's uh, lifetime stats right here. He's in his 10th major league season. His li- let me guess, he's a less than 300 hitter. You know what? <laughs> Coco Crisp is not the sort of player you can judge in that way. Okay, so you're just judging him by his name? No, I'm judging him by Coco Crisp hair. gets on first, and he goes all Ricky Henderson on their ass, <laughs> which means steal second, steal third, score on some dumb play. That's the way he's playing these days. So... Well, he Do did, the A's have a chant or anything like "We're cuckoo for Coco"? You know, have they come up no, with anything clever? No, like but that? well, the, here's the thing about the Oakland fans: is they embrace all players. <laughs> they're 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 like no enemies, <laughs> and they're allowed to express it in the most amazing ways that that you couldn't in certain other markets. Like you know, the in in in, in Dodger Stadium, you're not allowed to bring a sign. Well you're only allowed to kill people at Dodger Stadium. Right, exactly. Or, or you beat can't, them up, you right. can't bring a sign to hold up to uh, support your favorite player in, at, at Dodger Stadium. In Oakland, they've got a drum section, they've got um, Godzilla Wood. Don't they have a machete? Do they have a machete Matsui's new fan section, because Matsui's in Oakland this year. It's an entirely different experience. Well, you know, the reason they're they're so close to the players is there's so few fans, they can actually, all the players can actually get to know them individually. 
this is true. This is true. This is small market. It's a bigger deal. There are fewer people. The it's a lot more like the uh, one experience I had going to baseball in a foreign country, where in Japan they've got like um, they have cheering sections for each team, like designated areas with huge banners, and they do have drums there. And have I mentioned they have beer girls? No. With, oh. With with kegs of beer strapped to their back, and all you have to do is make eye contact, and there's someone there to pour a fresh beer while you're waiting. Well, wow. what are we waiting for? Yeah, should I take lots of singles? <laughs> <laughs> no singles needed, although you'll have to have yen. Okay. Um, um, the point is, we're getting way off topic, Shock. Oakland, Oakland uh, is kind of a different place to see baseball it's more of a I, i'm not going to say it's more fran, fan friendly because that stadium is is horrendous and mm-hmm. they they really need a better park but i'm afraid that if they got a nice new park that they would have all of the rules that all of the other teams have where you know you can't bring signs in you can't express your fandom in certain ways and they would lose that vibe they have now that's my fear about a new stadium for the A's. Yeah, and the the fan might get upset if they, uh, yeah. Can you can you see the stadium from your house? I can from um, Mount Wilson. No, no, Google Earth. I can Google, see it from go. Google Earth. So, so when you watch an A's game, do you also bring up Google Earth in the in, in your browser and just look over the stadium? I like to check on the traffic conditions. I like to really kind of get into the whole experience of what it's like to live in Oakland. I will be impressed with Google when they bring real Google Earth in real time, so we can do do these things. Oh, that, that would be that would be awesome and scary at the same yeah. time. But unfortunately, the world's going to end first. I want to put Tim on record for uh, one yes for Big Brother. Um, <clears throat> that's bigger than Big Brother. That's Google Brother. That's like God Brother. So our third topic. Um, last week, Linda Holmes of NPR Monkey See Blog published a piece entitled The Sad Beautiful Fact That We're All Going to Miss Almost Everything. The gist of the article is this, that even before any of us who are alive started consuming art, there's more out there than anybody can handle. And of course, in the last 30 or 40 years, it's only gotten worse. So what do you do? She suggests two options that people do. One is to call things, you know, declare what you're going to watch, what you're not going to watch, what you're going to listen to, what you're not going to listen to. And the other is just kind of give up. Don't worry about what you're experiencing and just let it happen. It's kind of got to the heart of something I've been thinking about lately because I make a lot of playlists and I was making CDs and making mixtapes and we share music all the time and we all probably have more music than we ever had time for. So Way more. Way more. So how do you, what do you think about that, Tim? Uh, well, here's here's the thing. If you just took one segment of this, you know, just just music, yeah, you don't have enough time for it. If you took just movies, you don't have enough time to see all the movies or read all the books. But each each aspect of media, sorry, each classification here that we're looking at um, is kind of changed over the years in different ways. First of all, with music, we going back, Jim and I, years ago and. Kirk probably as well. We would we would go on kind of hunt for records, in and um, we'd drive from Fresno to San Luis Obispo to the Bay Area to Los Angeles, hit up used record stores and find stuff that way. It was very labor intensive, but it was also very fun. And now the you know the only search that you do is through Google or 
through iTunes or whatever, right? Music, whatever, and you know, you read you read a review of an album, and five minutes later, you have that album. You don't even have to leave your house. So, it's kind of changed how we how we get stuff, you know. And that's on the one hand, it's great. On the other hand, I kind of miss the I miss the hunt. The going to record stores, going to L.A. and driving to six yeah. record stores. Exactly. Or or digging into the Overflow Record Library at KFSR, where <laughs> there were probably thirty or forty thousand albums that had just been stored because there was no room for them in the studio, and right. we found some amazing stuff. I mean, you're talking about an era where you read about an album and two minutes later you're downloading it. I mean, think about when we started hearing about Big Star versus when we could actually find the music yep. in, a, in a way where we could acquire it. Mm -hmm. And it ultimately came up from sifting through the Overflow Music Library. There, I happened to find them misfiled in the G's because it's a big star. Gig star. And... <laughs> and uh, I remember listening I to that. I remember the moment we took that back to our apartment and listened to this thing we'd been reading about for years. And now I can't imagine that there would be anything like that. It's just a totally different era. The other thing, the other point I want to make is while you're talking about you know consuming all all media, not right. missing might not missing anything. Well, that's a su superficial consumption. What about people who want to actually spend time digging in to stuff? at a deeper level. So I just called up the John Coltrane in my iTunes. Just John mm. Coltrane, one artist. Yeah. I've got 402 items. <laughs> and the, to the total play time is two days, 11 hours, 54 minutes, and 32 seconds. Just to get through him one time. And then you want to get to know that stuff, you got to listen right. a few times. So you're talking about a week's, two weeks worth of listening. Or maybe a lifetime's worth of listening. Maybe I don't want to spend time on every possible thing I could be listening to when there are some things I want to spend a lot more time exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. But the, the question is, is that, so, as you get older, as we get older, and we've all been obsessive about looking for new music pretty much our whole lives, and we've shared, mm. you know, thousands and thousands of records, probably between the three of us. So is there a point where you just say, screw it, I'm just going to dig in and I'm, you know, I'm, now 35, <laughs> 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 I'm going to dig into just the things that I know I love already and let everybody else deal with the new stuff. And can we even no. do that? I'm pretty um, much, I've been there for years. That's pretty much what I do. It doesn't mean that I, you know, don't, I've got kind of like a, a, a narrow band of places I go for new stuff. And this is really where e-music is still worthwhile for me is because for a very reasonable monthly budget, I can experiment with stuff. I wouldn't have the energy or the time to go out and find somewhere else. My, my problem lately, uh, I haven't been a member of eMusic for about a year now, but um, I found that um, even eMusic itself was a bit overwhelming at times with the amount of choices that you had. And finding stuff there was pretty, because they have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, albums and they add thousands a week so it is hard to sift through that stuff as well but um, i was good i was sifting through all the new rock and all the new punk rock as they classified it every week for a while but e-music's just now gotten to the point where the 15 or 16 bucks that i spent that i used to get 65 songs now i only maybe get 30 songs or even less than that 
But how much do you get with that money anywhere else? Yes, but but all that means, Kirk, is that e-music isn't special anymore. No. Right. It was for a while, definitely. Because remember, when you we, when we first joined, it was pretty open ended. You could download. Oh well, yeah, that <laughs> that was that was un, that was unsustainable. How do you think Kirk got all that yeah. John Coltrane? That's how he got a bunch of music. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I remember when e-music yeah. they gave you notice that they were going to go from unlimited. To- oh, and that that last month it was impossible to even log in, let alone download. They were overwhelmed. Now yeah. the the other thing is. You know, basically, it, it all comes down to time. Yep. And it, it really is, um, you know, I think back in the day when you're in your 20s or you're just out of college or whatever, you kind of think to yourself, you know what, if I just, if I read the right books, see the right movies, I can kind of get through all the kind of landmark things that I think I need to see or that I want to see. Basically, you, you kind of try to find a sweet spot where it's both something that interests you and is something that has a bit of historical um, kind of gravitas of some kind. So, you know, with books, it seemed like you could do that. Now, the more that I read, the more that I realize that you you can't even make a no. dent in kind of the the book world. So you've pretty much surrendered and given up. And given up's the right word, but it's also it feels like it's a defeat. But it's really just it's like okay, you know what? I'm not going to be able to listen to everything or read everything or no. see everything, and that's okay. No, but I have, I have, I have like these. Kirk, what the hell's going these, on in there? Kirk, are they doing? Are they still working on your house? <laughs> I'm looking for my Android phone. I seem, <laughs> to, have, I seem to have lost it. Oh, well, isn't there an app that you can just like clap your hands and it makes You're a noise? Android. And, uh, Come here, Android. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, the other, the other thing, I, what we love about the internet, the iPads, and everything, is the fact that we could at least kind of keep tabs on what we're doing, what we're reading, right. what we're watching. And, you know, it doesn't kind of go out the window. I do like that aspect of it where I kind of, I've always liked logging what I've read or what I've I seen. I would love nothing more than, than an app or something that, that I could, every single song I've ever listened to. And then how many times I've listened to that song literally since the moment I was born, that would just be awesome. They could probably in the future, they'll be able to do that from like a sample of your hair. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you could, they could because every oh, it is all embedded in your brain. They could theoretically scan your brain and and take yeah. a, a listing of every single thing you've experienced and then spit it out as like a, a database. But yeah. you know what? The metadata would suck. <laughs> <laughs> There's one other aspect of this that we haven't even considered, which yes. is the collective unconscious, mm-hmm. where you know at some level. We may be experiencing everything all the time anyway. Yeah, and on some level, you know, we're all kind of, we, we are kind of cultural, culturally aware and cultural, um, how, do we, how do I say, we, we kind of devour culture, but, but not all of us devours all culture. So there's like popular culture that, um, you know, Jim, have you seen Jaws yet? Yes. You yeah, have I seen saw it Jaws. in the theaters. Okay. Uh, Kirk, have you seen Jaws? Yeah, but I've never seen a Jurassic Park movie. Okay, so that's probably Jaws is probably the last movie we all saw. I've never seen Titanic. Okay, have you seen E.T.? Have we all seen E.T.? Yeah. Yes, Tim, I've seen E.T. You've seen it? Okay. Stop Um, bringing that up, will you? (laughs) I saw E.T. I was young. (laughs) I I, I was impressionable. Yes, I went to see E.T. It's not something I'm proud of. 
that what there are th- certain things today that are so kind of embedded in the culture, so many kind of classic lines from Scarface, whatever, you know, that even kids today that are like six or seven are spouting lines from Scarface, a movie they shouldn't be seeing for another 10 years, but it's, it's actually appearing in, you know, as a, as a joke reference in kids' cartoons and kids' shows and stuff like that. That's, so there is kind of this, you know, the, there's the collective unconscious, but there's also the kind of the collective conscious kind of pervasiveness of, of you know, classic, classic moments in film. Is that so, what you met, Kirk? Uh, yeah, you guys are both fucking hippies. <laughs> there are only so many. Uh, stories. I was there yesterday, only, but there are only today. so many stories to be told. There are only so and many. Everything else right. is just a variation, and there are really only so many variations on how to tell there's these only stories. T- and it's, there's only two. So it's really yeah, it's, there's, there's only, only two, two stories. stories: a, a stranger comes to town, or b, people take a trip. Hmm. Which what are we doing right now? We're taking um, a trip. We're embarking on a new journey towards podcast land. Wait, you just said we were hippies. <laughs> now you're the hippie. So, one more thing. Uh, something that's been making you really happy or pissing you off a lot. Tim. Okay, I'll start. Um, Tina Fey's new book, Bossy Pants. Um, a good read. My only complaint, it's too short. And uh, I look forward to Bossy Pants 2, the sequel. But it's, uh, it's a good read. I got it for my... I, my iPad 2, which I love, and I I got the iBook version just to test out. I've been testing things out on the new iPad, and I've been testing that out because it was an enhanced edition, which means it had a 30-second intro and outro by Tina Fey, and then plus one chapter read by her entirely, and then some extra photos. So it's kind of, you know, kind of here and there, but um, the, the book itself is good. Tina Fey is awesome, and if you watch 30 Rock which you should be doing. If, you, if you're not watching 30 Rock, then you, um, you, you don't like to laugh. It's that simple. So, well, uh, that, is my, that is my one more thing of the week. Kirk, one more thing. So um, I've got this book called The Internet is a Playground by David Thorne, who has a website called 27b-6.com. Um, and it's really these... these <laughs> Stories he writes that are actually collection, collections of email exchanges with different people in his life, including clients, office mates, uh, next-door neighbors, where he is, um, well, I guess he's a crank, would be one thing you could call him, but the, they are hysterical. Uh, and all of the content in this book, I think not all of it, but most of it is on his website. Uh, so if you or have any interest at all, you can go to 27B slash 6 and start reading. Um, the, the most hysterical, my favorite is called Missing Missy, which is his exchange with, I think, someone he worked with at a marketing company where she lost her cat and she was asking him to make a lost cat poster. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it's the exchange of email messages with various iterations of his version of the lost cat poster. <laughs> What's the name of the book again? It's called The Internet is a Play. We'll put a link to it. And and I have, and you should go to his website too, and I have the print edition, which was sent to me as a review copy. And um, 
knowing what I know about the way e-books uh, e are produced, I'm almost hesitant to recommend an e-book of this. Um, it's almost something you would have to have in print or if you want a digital version, just read his website. Awesome. Here's my thing. I kind of love right now that we're in the middle of a couple of great weeks of TV. Game of Thrones just debuted. Treme just debuted. Friday Night Lights and Doctor Who just debuted their season premieres. And then we have The Killing, which is awesome. And then also around the same time, Archer and Justified are wrapping up their seasons. Those are both great shows that you should be watching. Steve Carell is leaving the office this week. God, that's a whole thing to discuss. And then every mm -hmm. single week, Community, Parks and Rec, and 30 Rock just kick total and utter ass. It's a really great time right now for TV, even without Breaking Bad or Mad Men, which will come back next year, I guess. That's it. So I, so I, so I can go watch the A's yes, game? Yes, Kirk can go watch the A's game. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Remember, you have uh, till the 21st of May to, uh, you know, get get the get, get all your jobs done, put your things in order, and uh, do those things you've been putting off. Get out and vote. And thank you very much, anybody who downloaded this, and we'll see you again next week.